This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. It is Monday, January 17th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So if you're listening and you're on your way to town to go to the post office or go to the bank, just put that car in reverse, turn around and head back home. Of course, banks, post offices, a lot of stuff closed down today in observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Even though a lot of stuff is closed, we do have a big show today. We are going to talk in segment two with John Brannick of DTN Weather. I'm sure a lot of our listeners said to do a little shoveling this weekend. John will fill us in on what the week ahead might hold. And then we're going to talk to Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress. She's going to give us an update about everything that's happening in Washington, D.C. You know, we have not been short of ag policy, ag legislation, and ag regulation coming out of Washington, D.C., Jackie will join us in just a little bit to share an update. And then at the end of the show, we hopefully will be hearing from Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer from Stonex. That fertilizer market has gotten interesting over the past two weeks. Some prices have started to fall down on the barges in New Orleans. And Josh will give us an update on everything that's going on over there. Before we jump into all of that, I wanted to take our focus around the world. It was announced early last week, we discussed it a few times on the show, that for the first time in years, American pork has the green light to move into India. We'll be able to sell into that market for the first time in, in my lifetime, I believe. I think this, uh, this ban on American pork goes back quite a ways. And there has not been a lot of enthusiasm in the markets for this move opening up India to U.S. pork. There has been no big, massive rally in the uh, lean hog futures. But this market exists. And I think this move, moving uh, U.S. pork into India right now, seems like a really good move because we also had a piece of news come out today from China, which has been one of our leading pork export destinations for some time. Their country has, of course, we've been dealing with African swine fever and everything else that's been going on in China, and they've been fighting COVID with a COVID zero policy, trying to make sure they have no infections of COVID, which has kept some folks locked in their homes. And it's done something in China that might be a significant event for years to come, and that's China's birth rate. In 2021, it dropped to a record low. Chinese natural population, which is excluding immigration, so just counting people in China having kids, their natural population growth rate right now is at 0.034%. 0.034%, so less than half of 1% is how slowly this Chinese population is growing. And this is the slowest since 1960, I should say. That's only as far back as their records go. But this has folks looking at the Chinese economy concerned. Obviously, they've known for some time that the Chinese population was going to start to come down. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are very familiar with the fact that China instituted a one-child policy. And uh, for years, this was the case in China. They, families were only allowed to have one child, and uh, they scrapped that policy. In 2016, the Chinese government said, hey, whoa, we are aging too quickly as a population. We are going to have massive amounts of Chinese people retiring at one time. We need families to have more kids. And even though they got rid of that one-child policy, they have not been able to push that birth rate higher. And this is something that has China investors concerned. Zui Zhang, he's the chief economist at a company called Pierpont Asset Management, said the demographic challenge is well known, this aging of the population. But he says the speed of the population aging is happening uh, more quickly than expected. And in fact, I think this is a crucial quote for all of us in agriculture whose, whose fortunes to one degree or another are tied to find buyers around the world. Zhang said this suggests China's total population may have reached its peak in 2021. China's potential growth, he notes, is also slowing faster than expected. Looking at the struggles that China is facing with their real estate uh, sector in their economy, the Evergrande uh, crisis that they've been dealing with, a lot of things in China could start to change as this population struggle uh, continues into the future. 
I brought this up because I wanted to contrast this with India. India has also been rising in wealth. They have been modernizing much more slowly than China has as an, an overall economy. But we have seen incomes rising. And typically, as, as incomes rise, we do see births fall a little bit. They tend to slow down as people focus on making money or you know retirement, whatever else they, they might have on their plans. But still, India's population change is at 1%. So they are still growing at 1%. That's down. They were growing at 2.5% right around 1990. So we are seeing the Indian population grow. But importantly, excuse me, their population growth slow. But it is still happening. And it's happening much faster than the growth that's occurring in China. So over the next year, as you turn into AOA, we're going to be looking at this market in India. I think pork moving in there is maybe phase one. We'll start to see what other agricultural goods could come from the U.S. and get moved into that country. But I'm a firm believer that we can't ignore new markets that are open to us, even if they don't have a whole lot of stuff that that uh, might put some dollars in our pocket right away. Watching these economies grow and become big trading partners of America is huge. The story of China from 1990, well, 1968, I suppose, until today has been one that has really found mouths for a lot of the production that U.S. farmers are bringing to market. And I think we could see something similar play out in India over the years to come. So stay tuned. We'll be talking more about India in the year ahead. But of course, we've always got to talk about what's going on in this country as well. At the tail of the week uh, on Friday, we got a lot of business data dropped on us from the U.S. government. One of the key things was consumer sentiment. This one's not a government report. It comes from the University of Michigan, but they measure how consumers are feeling about the economy. They call it the Consumer Sentiment Report. It took a huge tumble in uh, February of 2020, as we can imagine, as COVID started to spread. And since then, it has oscillated back and forth. But this December, consumer confidence fell to 68.8. That's down from 70. It dropped about two points in the month of December to put it at the lowest level in a decade. The American consumer is concerned about the supply chain. The American consumer is most concerned, however, about inflation. Americans expect inflation to rise 4.9%, just shy of 5% over the next year. That would be the highest on uh, in recent history. It would be the highest since 2008, if we look back towards then. They do expect to see prices climb at an annual rate of 3% over the next 5 to 10 years. That's the most people concerned about inflation since 2011. Consumer prices are up 7% as 2021 comes to a close, folks. That is the largest 12-month gain since 1982. We are seeing everything and its brother have their prices climb here in 2022. Also got an update on some cargo thefts in Los Angeles County, cargo thefts from trains have spiked 365% in LA. This is where if you're missing some packages on delivery, they might be stolen. Out in LA, Union Pacific Railroad has come out and said they are hiring a lot more agents. Their police manages this. They're gonna keep an eye on this, but folks, keep track, watch those tracking numbers. You may see a package disappear. UP's working on it. Stay with us when AOA returns. We are gonna be talking to John Baranek about the weather. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. 
Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's time to talk about the weather. Joining me right now is John Brannick of DTN Weather. John, I'm sure a lot of listeners are digging out after some snowfall. Were there any surprises as that winter storm moved across the Midwest this winter? Or weekend, rather. Yeah, no, well, not in terms of, you know, what we were kind of expecting once we got to about Thursday. Uh, it's kind of held up to, to what we thought about then, but, you know, it's, it changed kind of drastically between what we talked about last week and uh, what actually happened. Uh, we were kind of expecting it to, models were kind of expecting to go through the Carolinas and just kind of offshore, no big deal. But, you know, it turned into a nor'easter, so <laughs> kind of a bit of a change. Uh, here across most of the, mid the Midwest, though, I think the biggest uh, surprise here was just the amount of, in of lake-enhanced snow that happened across uh, eastern Ohio and into Pennsylvania and western New York, where they got a, almost two feet of snow in, in, in some spots. So, um, you know, that, that was a little bit more than what I was uh, kind of anticipating. But for the most part here, uh, you know, getting a foot of snow across portions of Iowa and the southwest Minnesota, um, you know, that, that's kind of what we were expecting, but uh, not until we got to about uh, Wednesday or Thursday time frame. Gotcha. Yeah, this snow that fell, you know, I'm in Iowa and we had the first real big snowfall we've had for years that I can remember this one that came down. We got 10 inches and it was it was a lot of snow. John, what do you see in this week ahead? Any more white stuff on the radar? Uh, white stuff, yes. A lot of it, no. So that's probably a good thing if, if you're there in Iowa. Uh, we do have another system moving through here. Uh, the track of it's going to be kind of along the international border and and just across into Canada is where we're going to see kind of the, the heavy snow band with it. Uh, but it's going to bring a nice cold Arctic blast here through uh, much of the middle of the country this week. It's not going to stick around too long. We just got a couple days of it, but then we get another system moving through here, uh, kind of Friday, Saturday time frame, another one kind of going to next week. And we're kind of in this pattern here. Where we're going to see little systems move through every so often. Um, there, there'll be mostly clipper systems as well. So they, they have a tendency for those tracks on those to kind of change. So where they look like they're going to occur now might be different, you know, even then on the next model run. 
Um, and we won't really key in on those until probably 48 hours from when they from when they're set to to impact your area. So beware of that. But there'll there'll be several moving through, and each one of them is going to have another shot of colder air moving through. Um, and on the north side of that track, on these clipper systems, is usually where we see the kind of a, a moderate uh, band of snow occur. And if you're unlucky, it could turn into heavy. But for the most part, we don't see a whole lot of that. The, the next potential one would be kind of Sunday into Monday uh, time frame here across the uh, across the Corn Belt. Um, but again, like I said, track can change on that. Uh, so we'll just have to keep our eye on it. Yeah, that is true, man. These tracks can adjust. John, as you look at this pattern we're in with these clipper systems moving across, springing up, you know, it's it's kind of like a train. There's three coming this next week. We could almost count on it. Is this a pattern you think is going to be in place for a while? What's driving this move here towards a, a bunch of smaller systems? Yeah, so uh, this is actually pretty typical of what we see during La Nina. Maybe not this active. Usually we you know, get one every once, maybe once a week or so when the pattern kind of locks into this. Uh, but, you know, this is kind of a typical La Nina pattern. You get a big ridge of high pressure across the eastern Pacific into uh, Alaska, and you get a trough of lower pressure kind of around Hudson Bay. And in between those is where the storm track goes. And if you can you know, kind of picture where that goes, it goes right through the Canadian prairies in western Canada, uh, right, through the, uh, right through the Midwest and Great Lakes regions. And so that's that's our typical clipper pattern. Uh, so when this sets up uh, and and stays locked in for a little bit, uh, then we see that those those clippers happen. Um, we're not seeing a big change in that pattern here going forward until probably um, middle February or so. Maybe maybe the maybe after the first week of February uh, is when we kind of see that kind of shift a little bit westward. And we'll get more of a trough into Western Canada. And that, of course, would be another shot of cold polar vortex air that we might have to worry about moving through the rest of us in February. So, um, you know, kind of going back to our December pattern that we had where we had a really cold air locked into Western Canada and in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, we eventually got a couple of shots of that uh, going into uh, going into January. John, I want to ask you about drought. Uh, the Southern Plains, of course, and we continue to see that dryness persist through there. Any relief for those folks as uh, we get farther into January? Unfortunately not. Clipper systems have, you know, have a tendency to be pretty dry on their southern end of them. Um, they just don't have a whole lot of moisture when they come from, uh, from Western Canada. So uh, unless they can get a good feed from the Gulf of Mexico, it usually doesn't bode so well for, for Southern Plains action. And I'm not really seeing much in terms of that. Now, something that can happen, though, is, is we can get a little undercutting of, of systems moving from kind of south of California and, and Mexico and kind of move you know, south through the Rockies and then into Texas and those areas. And we may see one of those kind of happen early next week. Um, we got a little bit of a, a, a flare-up of, of precipitation potential when one of those comes through. But it's mostly for eastern Texas and Oklahoma. Back towards the west where the, the drought's much worse, uh, we don't really see a whole lot going on for them, unfortunately. That is frustrating for a lot of folks out there down in cattle country. John, as you think about this La Nina, last time we talked, it was intensifying. Is that still the case? Well, now we're more kind of in a steady state. So uh, we, we're not seeing any real change of it. We're kind of peaking out right now in the La Nina, uh, or the temperatures right there along the equator uh, in the Pacific Ocean. So we're not expecting it to get any colder now, but uh, it's going to take a little while for us, and it's going to be very gradual to get back towards a neutral state. We're expecting probably by late spring for that to occur. Uh, I will say with a caveat, one of the better models that has been um, – you know, kind of grabbing onto things a little bit earlier than some of the other ones is actually our American model. Uh, I got an update a couple of years ago and has been a much better in, in, those, in that regard for, for predicting uh, La Nina and El Nino conditions uh, several months out. And this one doesn't really let go of the La Nina pattern going into summer. Um, you know, that one, it makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, but if, if you look at kind of some of the, the deeper ocean temperatures, they don't look that bad. So it's kind of like a skin temperature right there. So if you get something to just, it could just wipe itself away really quickly. So it's something to kind of concern ourselves with, but not a huge concern at this point, just something that I'm keeping in the back of my mind right now.
Well, let's let's run out some scenarios. Let's say that that model is accurate. We get a moderate La Nina that sticks around into summer. John, what does that mean for those of us here in, uh, call it the Central Corn Belt or in the Northern Plains? Yeah, that that is not a good uh, condition here. Usually what it leads to is another big ridge of high pressure across uh, the western half of the, of, of the U.S., typically that centers along the plains, and it just leaves us hot and dry here in the plains. And as you get towards the eastern half of the Corn Belt, it doesn't look as bad, especially when you get into Ohio, um, eastern Michigan, eastern Kentucky, those areas, not too bad, you know, more of a typical uh, season there. But, um, you know, for, for most of the Corn Belt and through the, throughout the plains, that's, that's, uh, that's a bad scenario to be in. Um, just hot, dry, uh, and, you know, we're already dealing with drought in a lot of this area. So, um, you know, if that were to stick around, that would be, that would be absolutely devastating. Yeah, no, it certainly would. That would not be a good 2022 kickoff for those folks who have been dealing with drought for some time. John, I want to ask you, you mentioned that model was updated here a few years ago. When these models get rejiggered and updated, what what are they changing? I, this is all kind of a black box to me. How does it work? Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really great question. Um, you know, I don't really dive into it a whole lot, so I don't know a whole lot about what they actually change. Um and a lot of it has to do um, with just resolution. So, you know, as our computers get much better, much faster, they're able to handle a lot more uh, computations. We can put data points, a, lo a lot more data points on our globe than we used to. Um, you know, thinking back when I was in college 20 years ago, um, if, if you had a forecast that went beyond five days, you're calling that model fantasy land. Nowadays, you know, we're looking two weeks ahead and you're saying, you know, we have reasonable um, uh, idea that, that something's going to happen or not. And if, as we look seasonally, too, we've, got, we've just got a lot better ideas of picking out things and uh, kind of grabbing onto things a little bit better than we used to. Um, you know, some of the science has, has come along uh, a little bit in that regard, uh, but a lot of it is just computational power. Uh, we've been able just to do a lot more um, uh, than we used to. That is incredible. So we got a couple shots of cold ahead of us over this week. Possibility of some snow. Well, it is winter. John Brannick of DTN Weather. Thanks for filling us in on what to expect with the weather this week. All right. Thanks, Mike. You have a great week. And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka from Farm Progress will join us after the break to give us an update on how things are happening in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, private exporters reported a sale this morning of corn and soybean meal, 100,422 metric tons of corn to Mexico for this marketing year, and 100,000 metric tons of soybean meal for delivery to Spain during the 22-23 marketing year. As we look at those sales and then look at the futures trade, not really uh, impacting much here as we are lower across the board, led lower by wheat and soybeans here as we work through our Friday morning corn. That market just down fractionally, we'll call it firm, but the wheat market continues to slip lower. Argentine crop ratings continue to tumble amid record heat and drought. Its soybean crop is rated just 31% good to excellent this week, down from 88% four weeks ago. 
Its core crop rate at 23% good, excellent, down from 87% four weeks ago. Now, there are rains in the forecast next week for those dry areas of South America, and they'll be pivotal for shaping the production outlook as we head into February, which is really the key month for much of the region. South American weather is expected to be the key driver of the great oil sea markets in the weeks ahead, followed by a shift to the U.S. growing season. Right now on the board, March corn down a half penny, 587. May corn down a half penny, 589. March soybeans down nine and a quarter, 1368. May down nine and three quarters at 1377 and a half. March bean meal down $1.70 a ton, 407.20. March bean oil down 63 points at 57.81. March Chicago wheat six and a half lower, 740 and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down 12 and a quarter, 747 and a half. March spring wheat down 11 and a half at 884. Higher action in hogs, mixed trade in cattle. February lean hogs up 302, 8087. April up 247, 8780. January feeder cattle down 27, 162, 65. February live cattle up 12, 137, 12. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, is going to join me next. Jackie had a chance to be down in Atlanta at the American Farm Bureau annual meeting last week, gave us an update from there. Jackie, what did you learn? Was there any policy that was decided down there at the Farm Bureau meeting? You know, the Farm Bureau is one of the largest, known as the largest farm group in the country. And so they do take on some um, policy each year. Um, not any huge big changes in their policy, but obviously they they had a discussion about cattle markets. They had a discussion about WOTUS and, and also had a, a, a video message, not an in-person message from the president and, and Secretary Vilsack was there. So obviously a lot of uh, important things going on in that meeting. And it was just great to be back in in person with people and, and talking on the sidelines to folks. I was just reviewing over some notes from uh, John Newton, who's a, the uh, chief economist at the Senate Ag Republican side. Um, you know, he used to be at the Farm Bureau, but he was there on behalf of the Senate Ag Committee and just able to to gather some great insight on, on what the Farm Bureau is watching as 2022 comes and looking at policy and, and some of the things that, that they are keying in on to make sure that farmers' voices are heard on Capitol Hill as well. And that is so important, especially when we see the bright light of regulation and uh, legislation focused on agriculture, which it is weirdly in 2022. Jackie, there was a whole bunch of stuff slated to go before the Supreme Court. We had a Clean Water Act case. We had E15 last week was supposed to be heard from the Supreme Court. We got Proposition 12. Give us a, a court update. Where do we sit this week? What are we watching for? So we were kind of watching uh, three cases and uh, the Supreme Court uh, dealt with one big one, unfortunately, not the way that a lot of folks wanted. And that was whether E15 year round could be uh, was legal under under the, the current regulations. And if the EPA actually had the authority to uh, to do E15 and, and unfortunately didn't. So Congress may have to come in and, and make some 
legislative changes to to that to allow for it. Um, Proposition 12 was another big one. And for those of you who don't know, that's the regulations that would require space requirements for sow gestation crates in California, but not only in California, but for anyone who ships meat into California. So pretty big deal for the hog industry. And um, that case has actually not, we've not heard anything final from the Supreme Court on that. So we're still waiting. That's a challenge from AFBF, the Farm Bureau and in the National Pork Producers Council. Um, another one that, that does impact the ag industry was the vaccine mandate for 100 employers or more. And the Supreme Court decided on Thursday that that is not, not, under the authority um, given to the president under the executive order that he did because of the fact that it's businesses. And so, um, you know, like the, there were some farm industries, farm sectors who actually were very glad to see that, that action from the Supreme court, because it could have really created some hardships, whether that's the trucking industry, um, national council of farmer cooperatives were in agreement with that Supreme court decision and, and hopefully finding some other ways to encourage folks to get vaccinated um, that that would not impact the businesses that serve the ag sector. Yeah, no, that vaccine mandate was being closely watched. I think a lot of employers I've spoken to have been celebrating the fact that they're not going to be responsible for tracking their employees' vaccine status. Jackie, wanted to get your thoughts. We've heard a lot from EPA. They're going to be doing a lot over this next year. We've got the WOTUS rewrite, the Waters of the U.S. Act. Um, they've still been looking at pesticides and herbicides. Any updates from EPA for us this week? You know, we are... Uh nothing, nothing that's shutting off. Um, we, we aren't losing any pesticides yet, so that's good. Um, but I, I mean, I think we're still waiting to see what they're going to do on, um, on some of those. Last week, the there was a case to actually defend glyphosate. This isn't actually in front of EPA. This is in front of the courts of, of challenging challenging that. So, um, you know, there is a lot of folks who are hoping that we can continue to have some of these important tools in our toolbox, whether that's dicamba or glyphosate. Um, but obviously, ag groups are defending to be able to continue to use glyphosate, whereas uh, your Center for Food Safety and some of those other environmental groups are obviously saying that that's, that's not something that we need to have in our toolbox. And so, um, yeah, a lot of focus on pesticides and, and whether we would be able to continue to, to use pesticides. Yeah, they have been keeping a close eye on that for some time, it would appear. Jackie, let's talk things on Capitol Hill. On the legislative front, I know the holiday season, we don't get a whole lot done typically in Washington, D.C., but that's come to an end. What do you expect to see from the legislative side of uh, politics up there in D.C. over this next week or two? So actually this week, um, they're still on, a, they call it a work period. So they are home. They should be home in their states doing things um, today with being Martin Luther King holiday. Um, they're, they are in DC right now. They've got the whole week off, but you know, there is a lot of push of trying to kind of use some of this momentum of today's holiday and um, working on voter, uh, voter, bills. Um, now, whether, you know, depending on what side of the aisle you are usually finding yourself on, I think there's a big difference on what they believe that should be. Um, I don't anticipate anything big coming out of this um, on the legislative front. They do, they do have to work on their appropriations bill. They've got through mid-February to to basically pick up the pieces of what they did in the continuing resolution last fall. Um, you know, Congress has really had a lot of air sucked out of it with some of the discussions on the bipartisan infrastructure and the Build Back Better. And so right now they're just, uh, I, I think they're trying to see if they can get some wins, but that fact that the calendar year has turned to 2022, I think it's going to be an uphill battle to do a, a lot of big pieces. Now, there's still some hope that they could maybe piece out into smaller chunks, some of the Build Back Better. So whether the agriculture parts uh, do find a home in a smaller bill, but whether that can get across the finish line, I think is still an uphill battle, especially with midterm elections looming. 
So that was leading to my next question, Jackie, that Build Back Better plan. Last time we talked, or maybe two times ago when we talked, Joe Manchin was floating the idea of still being willing to sign on to a Build Back Better if the price tag were much lower. Do you think there's still going to be Build Back Better conversation when they get back to D.C.? You know, I there's... I think there'll be I think there'll be discussions. Um, I think it's like I said. I think it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, you know, Mansion and Cinema were up at the White House again, but not necessarily talking about Build Back Better. They were talking about some of these voter bills that are, you know, they're kind of floating around right now and, and trying to kind of make a point in some ways. Um, and so I, those discussions to me, at least from the readouts that I were were seeing. Those discussions with Mansion and Cinema were not focused on Build Back Better. Um, I think as we continue to kind of have a focus on inflation and the cost of what we have have spent in 2021, um, I think I think it's really hard. You know, we had um, it's it's a lot of money we've spent that that first um, American Rescue Plan that passed in early 2021 that was 1.9 trillion. The bipartisan infrastructure is 1.2 trillion, and that Build Back Better was almost two trillion, and some estimates are as high as four trillion. And so, I think just from an appetite of continued spending, I think I think they're starting to to it, it is a hard hard road to to walk. Uh, I think for some Democrats. Now, other ones are are saying let's let's just keep going right ahead and and keep spending and and do all we can because we don't know what's going to happen in the midterms. And others are saying, hey. We got to keep our seats, um, and so there's a lot of a lot of folks on the bubble. We could see, you know, a house flip. We could see there's some real competitive seats in the Senate. Um, there's actually five states that have retiring Republican incumbents, and so and only one Democrat retiring incumbent. So there's there's definitely a lot at play as we are are you know starting this 2022 year. There certainly is. And 2022, 2023, Jackie, it's farm bill season. Are farmers going to get, uh, are we going to be in trouble that now the government is choosing to take a look at how much they're uh, they're spending? You know, I think that was one of the really interesting um, insights that I gathered from, from my talks with folks uh, last week at the Farm Bureau. You know, I spoke with Senator Marshall, who is from Texas, replaced uh, Roberts. Um, you know, he said things are actually pretty quiet on the farm bill right now. You know, a lot of a lot of folks are talking much about that. Now, on the other side of 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 what's going on now in preparation for the farm bill is, you know, the farm bill is all about your baseline, right? Which is is basically how much money do you have to spend? How much money is built into the current law that allows you to either spend more or spend less. And if, if the Democrats are in control, they'll probably spend as much or more. If the Republicans are in control, they'll probably try to spend less. So part of that Build Back Better was additional funding for conservation. And some of that was specifically to boost some farm bill programs. So does that create extra baseline? And there's some kind of nuanced ways that they're trying to, quote, build baseline as we head into the farm bill with whatever they might be able to pass with the Build Back Better. So, um, you know, this 2022, there is going to be more uh, oversight of what programs are working well. But I think a huge part of this future discussion is disaster aid. You know, we have seen tornadoes, hurricanes, derechos, uh, droughts. We have, for the longest time, we've really kind of stood on the fact that we needed a farm bill so we didn't have these ad hoc assistance. But in recent years, we've seen a lot of money flow out there. So it's going to be interesting to watch. It sure, certainly will, Jackie. And I'm glad you're going to be the one watching it. You can just update us because, boy, <laughs> it does not seem like it's going to be a fun year in D.C. Thanks for giving us an update. You bet. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Mike. Sounds great. That's Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, folks. And come back after the break. We're going to talk fertilizer prices with Josh Linville of Stonex. Tune in to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. AOA continues. We're going to talk fertilizer. Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer from StoneX, is joining me today. And Josh, urea prices down for the second week in a row. Is the peak behind us? I, I'll tell you what, I can sit there and make a really solid case why it is. I mean, we're uh, we're finally starting to kind of get ahead of this thing. It seems like we've killed enough demand. You know, we've got production back up and running here globally. But at the same point, some of the stuff going on with Russia, uh, you can certainly paint a picture that we've got another peak in front of us. So I think we've got a heck of a roller coaster ahead of us. So how are you handling, how should producers be handling purchases? If they were short bought this fall, watching prices go nuts, and they know they've got to get some coverage for this spring, Josh, what's the best way to get it done? I think you've got to keep having a conversation out there with your supplier. Um, you, you know, it's very, very easy for me to sit here in my office and talk about, oh, you need to be talking, you need to do this, you need to do that. But really, this year is full of danger. Uh, we've always been, you know, focused on the, the pricing of it and supplies and things like that, but... We've also got to remember, we're midway through January. Uh, we are not that far away from spring starting up. And as hard as it is for a lot of the farmers to pull the trigger on buying the product, that retailer is in the exact same boat. So the more we can have the conversation with them, and you don't even have to pull the trigger, but at least give them a heads up of, hey, I need this much, I need that much for this time frame, that time frame. Give them a fighting chance for trying to get those supplies in place so that they're ready for you when you show up on the door. That is a great point. Josh, you mentioned you can paint the case for demand slowing down, production increasing, the peak is behind us. Make that case. What should we be watching as an indication that maybe this downtrend is going to flip and start moving back up on us? Well, for me, uh, if the thing flips and starts going back up, there's two things that can drive that. Number one is the logistics of it here in the U.S. marketplace. Uh, something we've not talked about, and frankly, I've tried not to talk about because I don't want to sit there and keep thinking, you know, here's a worst-case scenario, there's a worst-case scenario. But the river systems are dealing with very, very low waters right now. Uh, and that can, if it continues for long enough and gets a little bit worse, that can start to affect barge traffic. And, of course, that's our most efficient trade flow, our most efficient logistical route in the U.S. If all of a sudden that goes away, now all of a sudden we're struggling to catch up right before the springtime. So that's one thing we're watching. Just because the price in the Gulf of Mexico drops, if the price of your logistics goes up by that much more, the price goes higher. The other side of it is, look at what Russia's been doing. Uh, they're knocking on the doorstep of Ukraine. They're threatening to invade. They're, uh, over the weekend they took some cyber attack type uh, standpoints to try and set the stage to actually do that. Russia is a major, major exporter. Um, when you sit there and look at it, and actually we ran these numbers over the weekend, Russia this year accounts for about 14% of the global urea exports. If all of a sudden they go into the Ukraine and they, uh, and they start a war, and NATO and the EU and the U.S. and everybody else starts to stand up and say, okay, you do that, we're going to you know, put economic sanctions on you, we could shut down urea exports coming from Russia. You could lose almost 15% of the global export volume just because they stepped over a, a line in the ground. Oh, boy, that would make some folks notice. And it, it's impossible, I'm guessing, to figure out where prices could go if there's an actual shooting war with the Ukraine. Josh, is that right? Yeah, that, that's one of those situations. Like I said, I'm trying not real hard not to spend a lot of time diving into it just because who knows? Uh, not only does that have fertilizer ramifications, and it's not only just urea. It's on phosphate. It's on potash. But then there's also a conversation to be had, well, what does that mean for global grain flows and things like that? I mean, this is one of those situations. It's been very, very low probability, but the ramifications could be huge. And I guess to a certain point, 2021 beat me up bad enough with the Black Swan events. I'm kind of hoping 2022 gives us a little bit of a break. I think a lot of folks are, would share that opinion with you there, Josh. I want to ask you a question. On Friday, we talked to Chris Edgington. He's the president of the National Corn Growers Association. They had just had Texas A&M do a study looking at fertilizer prices and their concerns You know, in the immediate future are the tariffs that are being put on fertilizer or potentially could be put on fertilizer from Russia, Trinidad, Tobago, and some others. But they also found that the price of fertilizer is tied most directly to the price of corn, Josh. And with corn up 
up here around six bucks. I got to imagine these fertilizer prices are going to stay elevated for some time. Is that your guess? Yeah, it's it, there's some stuff that I fully agreed with. Um, they talked about how you know there's a disconnect of the natural gas to the fertilizer price, and that's because when you look at North America, that natural gas price going up or down, the only effect that truly has is just on the pocketbooks, on the margin of these U.S. producers. They're running flat out because they're making more money than they could have ever imagined they were going to a year ago. So that is 100% correct. The price of natural gas going from like three to five, for example, does not mean they're going to slow down their production. The price of corn is very important because when we get to the values we are today, you can't, you know, if you can afford more uh, to spend more on your fertilizer inputs, of course. And if the price of that corn were to falter, well, all of a sudden now your cash flow isn't there, your demand starts to drop. But really, a lot more of these markets, where we are today, has had a lot more to do, not with the corn price, but it's more to do with all these production issues we've had. It's, uh, you know, plant turnarounds around the world that were delayed because of COVID. Uh, EU natural gas prices being sky high and making it to where they're, uh, they can't produce nearly as much as they need to. Uh, China shutting down exports. This has been much more of a supply-driven. Now, of course, the high corn price helps to support these values, but this has actually been standing on its own more. This isn't, while the numbers may show it, this has been a little bit more tied to the lack of uh, production, the lack of supply on the fertilizer standpoint. Well, and you know, that makes a lot of sense. This past year, past two years have been so nuts for producers. I did hear European natural gas prices are finally starting to come down. Do you anticipate European producers coming back online in the short term? Well, the problem is they need to get quite a bit lower still. Um, they have definitely come off their highs, and I think they're at the height of it. The natural gas for the Dutch CTF is something like a 55, 57 uh, MMBTU. I mean, just crazy type numbers. And, and, and that compares to, just to put people in perspective, that 55 was four or five a year ago. Is that right for natural gas? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, we're talking numbers they had never even dreamed about seeing years ago. But yeah, and I think today, I haven't checked it here recently, but I think last time we had looked, it was getting back into the lower 30s. And the problem is, even at the lower 30s, it's still tough to produce. It's tough to produce, so this shortage or this lack of supplies could be with us for a while. Josh Linville, the Director of Fertilizer at StoneX, thanks for talking to us today. Hey, absolutely. Thanks a lot. And folks, we'll have more AOA tomorrow on Tuesday. The markets will be back trading. The weather will still be happening, and AOA will bring it all to you. Thanks for listening. Take care. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.